some verses in Ecclesiastes I want to start with this morning. Ecclesiastes 3, one of the wisdom books in the Old Testament. Uh, verse 1 says, There's an appointed time for everything. There's a time for every event under heaven. Later in that same chapter, verses 10 and 11, it says, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. Everything's appropriate. Some translations say everything is beautiful in its time, but whether you read Ecclesiastes or other portions of the Scripture, the Scriptures declare that there's sort of a season. There's an ebb and flow, or there's there are tides, if you will, to to the flow of life. And as we're approaching Thanksgiving and the holiday season and sort of winding down towards the end of the year, it seemed like a good time to talk about seasons or stages of life. And specifically this morning, what I want to talk about is living life intentionally in view of the seasons of life that you are either in now or will be. You're in a season, a stage of life now, or ones you're entering into in the future. And that if we can live intentionally in those areas, if we can learn the major lessons God has for us, make the major investments God means for us in each of those stages, we'll be able to live life well in the short time we have on the earth. It was Socrates who said more than a couple thousand years ago that the unexamined life is not worth living and sort of taking that, changing it a little bit, I'm suggesting this morning that the unintentional life will be wasted. And that is that you'll look back at the seasons and stages of life you've been in and realize that there were missed opportunities, missed lessons, or a failure to engage in the things that God really meant as your priorities in that season or that stage, but you didn't realize it, and so you've wasted that. If we're to live well, we've got to live intentionally. We're talking about living life intentionally this morning. Shakespeare, uh, he, he broke life down into seven stages of life in his play, As You Like It. You start as the mewling, puking infant, and you end in second childhood. And we're, we're going to change this up a little bit. We're going to talk about five stages of life this morning. I'll describe them now, and we'll go into each of them individually. But you'll find yourself right now in one of these stages of life. And if, you, if you're in the third or fourth, you'll look back and you'll be able to say yes or no to some of the things we're describing in the earlier ones. But you're in one of these stages. And we're breaking them down this way. Uh, the first stage of life, infancy through adolescence. And I'm talking basically from birth to about 16 years old. This is basically the time that you're in your parents' household, your child being raised by your parents. The second one would be adolescence through your college preparation year. So here we're talking about from around 17 into your middle 20s, 25 years old or so. The third would be your career and family years. This would be from the anywhere from the mid-20s into the mid-50s or so. The fourth will be the empty nest and later career years. These would be the 50s roughly into the 70s. And what we'll end up with what we call the green years, which I'll explain later, that would be somewhere around 70 and up. So in each category, by the way, I'll ask you to raise your hand if you're in this group, okay, just so we know what applies to you, to each one of you, okay? The first, how many here are infant up to and including 16 years old? 
up to 16 years old. Uh, maybe 10 or so, 10 or 12. Okay. Okay, so just say 10% or so of our group this morning. So the first things we're talking about, this applies to you, okay? Nicholas and Benjamin, this is for you guys, really. Okay. <clears throat> Major themes in these seasons or stages of life. If you find yourself in this first category up to about 16 years of age, I hate to break the news to you, but the, the key thing God means for you to invest in and to get out of this stage of your life, this season of life, is God wants you to learn to respect and obey those in authority over you. And this isn't just my prejudicial opinion, Trevor, because this is the Scripture. When I, when I read my Bible, this is what I come to again and again. And you know in the Scripture, God says you confirm a fact by two or three witnesses. When you know God says the same thing over and over and over about the same thing, you can pretty well count. He considers that the priority. So when you read the Bible, you'll see Old Testament or New, when God talks to children, people in this first stage or season of life, he basically says the same thing over and over and over again. He says, respect and obey those in authority over you. Primarily your parents, but this would also include teachers, folks at church, employers, maybe in those early years of, of being an employee, but respect and obedience for those in authority over you. So Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. When you read these family passages in the New Testament, they always tell husbands the same thing. Love your wives. They always tell wives the same things. Respect or support your husband. And they always tell children the same things. Respect or obey your parents. And it's because these are the things we tend not to do, but we really need to. These are foundational and important. Or if you read in Luke's Gospel, it says even of Jesus, God the Son on earth, after He's restored to His parents when they've kind of lost Him in the temple, it tells us specifically that He submitted Himself to His parents' authority. Jesus, the guy who spoke... The guy, sorry. God who spoke creation into existence comes as a child on the earth and He submits Himself to Mary and Joseph. His creatures who are also His parents. And that's the thing. In this stage of life, as unpopular as it is, especially sometimes if you're going to be cool or hip or listen to your friends or whatever, respect and obedience for those in authority over you. That is the key lesson in life. And by the way, this is not to keep your life small. It's not to put you down. This is so that you'll grow up ready to respect and obey God and your life will be blessed because of that. So for kids, it's not as if God's putting His thumb on you and keeping you down, but it's that actually as you learn to respect and obey those in authority, you'll be actually respecting and obeying God who's put those folks in authority over you, and that leads to a blessed life. When you read the Scriptures, Old or New Testaments, although it's popular to be a rebel in film and media and culture, rebels in the Scriptures, they get, they get bad lives. They get cursed lives. They end up with short lives. You name it. And so if you find yourself, you're growing up in your parents' house, you're up to about 16 years old, the big, big lesson for you is, hard, hard pill as this may be to swallow, respect and obey your parents and those in authority. That's the beginning of God blessing your life. It frees God to bless you the way that He means to. Uh, let me read just a couple of verses. Proverbs 1.8 
Proverbs is a great book for kids or parents because it talks to both of them very directly. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Don't forsake mom's teaching because there'll be millstones around your neck, because they'll be make you really uncool with your friends or whatever, right? No, because there'll be a wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. Your mom's and dad's intention for your life, they won't be burdens you carry. They'll liberate you. They'll be ornaments. They'll be blessings to you. They won't be a downside or a curse. Or Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, don't forget my teachings. Keep my commandments. Why? So I can feel good about myself as a parent? No. So that you'll enjoy a long life. So that you'll have peace in your life. In this season of life, respect and obedience frees you. It provides the foundation for a life that God can bless through the rest of your life. The other thing I want to share with kids in this group, uh, this is not from the Bible, by the way, but it's this. Um, your brains right now are as much a sponge as they will ever, ever be. So that if your parents are telling you you ought to be reading books, this is a good thing. Or if school for school, you're needing to read a lot, this is not a bad thing. Or memorizing your times tables. Guys, this is the best time of your life to read a lot of books, to memorize a lot of facts because your brain will never, as easily as it will right now, learn and store new information. So for parents or schools that follow a classical model of education, what you give kids before the ability to reason and argue, you give them a body of information to work from. And kids at this stage of life, memorizing the Bible, Bible passages and Bible verses, learning the language, it'll never be easier for you than it is right now up to about 16, this first season of your life. So put away the Nerf guns and the Xboxes and pick up your books and memorize your math tables and all that stuff because your brain right now, that's what it's best suited for. So at this time of, of your life, in this season, ask yourself up to 16, Am I learning the lesson of respect and obedience for those in authority? Because that frees God to bless me. And, and am I using the season to learn as much as I can because my brain's ready to just soak it all in? This is for you in the first stage. In the second stage of life, adolescence up to about 25 or so. How many are in this group? Say 17 to 25. Okay, well, okay. 8 to 10 or so. Okay. Uh, don't get me wrong, but on the first half of this, let me just say, uh, this is, in my opinion, this is the most dangerous season of life anyone faces. The season of life you're in right now, which is the transition between childhood and adulthood, this is the most dangerous season of life you'll live. And just as your life is starting to get going, you can wreck it big time by the decisions you make in this stage of life, in this season of life. And think about it for just a minute. You're gaining independence, but you don't have a lot of experience in making new decisions. And now you are making decisions and lots of them on your own without help for the first time. And you're starting to make adult decisions and adult decisions have adult consequences. And you're also facing lots of temptations. You're deciding whether or not you buy into the values that your parents gave you or that you heard about at church. Or whether you're going to chuck those and take on the values of the folks around you, the culture around you, or whatever. So it's a transition time in which you either affirm the values you grew up with or you chuck them. And you're making decisions, sometimes for the first time, 
you have temptations open to you that weren't before as a child under your parents' household. You've got a driver's license. You're old enough to drink. You're old enough to vote. You're old enough to do lots of things on your own, but you're not very experienced at it. And this is a very, very, in my view, dangerous time of life. The question sort of becomes from thinking from the perspective of the book of Proverbs, you're deciding whether you follow lady wisdom and get peace and joy and righteousness or whether you hook up with lady folly and follow the desires of your fallen, sinful, carnal nature. Those are the decisions that you're facing. <clears throat> Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, these are well-known memory verses that adults quote all the time, but these were in fact written to a young guy in this season of his life. So when God said, trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding, acknowledge Him in all your ways and He'll make your path straight, that's written to a young man at this stage of life where he's being told, listen, this is the deal. You're going to have all these temptations. But if you'll give yourself to God, He'll make your life straight. And straight in the Scripture, that's good. That's blessing. You fall to the left or the right, you're falling off. You're falling out of life. This is a good thing. But that's by trusting in the Lord. Now, <clears throat> I've loved this verse in Ecclesiastes 11.9. I shared this with my younger brother many years ago. He's telling me his lifestyle and what he, what he wanted. And I said, okay, Pete. Rejoice during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Childhood, transitioning into young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. You're at the stage of life where you're making the decisions about what you value and what you're going to plug into and what you're going to enjoy. And at one level, Ecclesiastes says, Solomon says, hey, make those choices, but know this, you're going to live with them. You're going to live with the fruit of those decisions. I'm happy to say my brother ended up making great decisions. He's an exemplary man of God and father and husband and, and boss and all those good things. But one stage of life, it's like, you don't understand. I want to do all these things. No, I do understand. But this is what God says. Realize all these temptations. This is what you're thinking. Yes, but realize this. Let me read this too and just bear with me as I read through several verses in Proverbs 1. Uh, God is jealous, the Scripture says. And when God talks about wisdom in Proverbs, wisdom is, is sort of caricatured as a jealous woman. A jealous woman who wants your heart so that if you spurn wisdom, wisdom says, I will spurn you. And this is meant to be a warning. So listen to this if you're in this age group especially. Wisdom says, I called, you refused. I stretched out my hand to you, no one paid attention. You neglected all my counsel, you didn't want my reproof. I'm going to laugh at your calamity and I'm going to mock when your dread comes. And your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. And this basically means when the fruit of your decisions fall in, when the the house falls in around you. Wisdom says, I'm going to laugh at your calamity. I offered you myself and you spurned me. Then, when your life falls apart, then you'll call on me, but I won't answer. Then you'll seek me diligently, but you won't find me. You hated knowledge. You didn't choose the fear of the Lord. You wouldn't accept my counsel. You spurned my reproof. You're going to eat the fruit of your own way. You're going to be satiated 
with your own devices, you're going to get in full force the things you chose. I offered you wisdom time and time and time again. You said, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. Wisdom in the end says, okay, you're going to get the fruit of your own choices. This stage in life where you transition from childhood to adulthood is dangerous. And lots of people in this second stage of life make a train wreck of the rest of their life based on decisions, poor decisions, they make right now. And think of the temptations you're facing as you leave home, you go away to school or you enter the workforce or whatever, excesses in everything. I'm thinking specifically of alcohol. I mean, you can get into big trouble, wrecks, you name it, drugs. Sex outside God's blessing in marriage. Sex is a great thing. It's so important. God fences it in in the arena of marriage so that He can protect it the way He wants to. But you'll have all kinds of temptations in this arena. By the way, I, we've mentioned this before, but you know, you can end up with diseases at this stage of life that are with you for the rest, literally the rest of your life. You get a viral sexually transmitted disease, guys, you've got it for the rest of your life. That's one of the things that you can take from this stage of life. Temptations to cheat at school. This is huge on college campuses. Temptations to cut corners at work. You're going to face adult decisions and you're going to be getting adult consequences. And so this area, this this stage of life, this season of life is fraught with, with trouble and potential for destruction. So you've got to be careful. You can wreck your life just as it's getting started. How's that for encouragement? On the upside, on the positive side, this is also the stage of life where you're really laying the foundation for the rest of your life. Childhood, you're, you're getting the facts, you're getting a worldview, but this is where you're implementing them. And then you're making career choices. And think about this. Um, for many of you, if you feel called in an arena that's particularly academic, legal, medical, you're going to need to go to college. That's part of the price or the cost of you getting where you think God wants you to, know, to go. So you've got to be choosing a college and thinking about this. And uh, just a word of caution here too. Uh, college campuses are one of the most dangerous places for Christians on planet Earth. Uh, more people who've grown up in churches lose their faith in college campuses than probably any other environment in this country. And there are many professors at college campuses, our local college campus included, who if you come in as a Christian, their goal is to make you leave an atheist or an agnostic. So college is a necessity for many of you in the careers God will have for you, but it's also an inherently dangerous place. You've got to be careful about picking where you're at, who you're listening to, your friends, etc., but this is the time and the place where you're investing in college education. For some of you, college is a really, really lousy option. Our culture tells you everybody needs to go to college. I just think this is, this is lousy, lousy advice. For many of you, college is not a good choice. There's a book that just came out in the last year or so called Real Education by Charles Murray. He's a very, very sharp sociologist. He's written some important, rather earth-shaking books in the last 10 years to others. And I would advise you to read that. If you're contemplating college, but it's iffy, or if you're a parent with kids growing up, this is a great book because he compares the benefits of a college education with other options and why for some people college is just not a good choice at all. College is very costly. Four years of your life and thousands of dollars in direct costs. And then also remember, four years and thousands of dollars out is also four years that you can't earn money generally the way you would otherwise. 
College is a very costly proposition. For some, it's a necessity. You need that education to keep going where God wants you. For others, though, count the cost before you enroll. And if you do go, make sure you're being careful about who you're listening to, your friends, your associations there, etc. Trade schools, apprenticeships are great options. If you're thinking about trades, we need electricians, we need plumbers, we need bakers, we need all the services that life provides us. And for some of us in this room, that's exactly where God wants us. These shouldn't be second-rate careers or anything like that. We want to end up where God has sort of fit us to fit in. God's made us with certain gifts and callings and aptitudes and, and gifts and desires, and so we should try to match careers to that, and that's not going to be college for everyone. Here's another option as you're transitioning into adulthood. Should you start your own business? Uh, this is a great opportunity for some. It requires a lot of you, uh, but it has uh, benefits that, that other uh, kinds of employment or careers don't. So that's another option. But at this stage of your life, you're putting the pieces together for the rest of your life. Career, school. Think about it. Pray about it. At this stage of life, two things. If you can avoid wrecking your life, I just say that as a minimum, this is a good thing. If you avoid wrecking your life, this is a good start. And then be thoughtfully, prayerfully thinking about what's God calling me to and what does it take to be prepared for that. So that's the second stage of life. The third stage or season of life is career and family years. How many here are mid-20s into mid-50s? Biggest group here. Okay. Can't you can still raise your hand for that? Wow. I can't seriously, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking now. Do I raise my hand for three or four? (laughs) We're transitioning too. Yeah. Anyway, career and family years, mid-20s or so into the 50s or so. This is sort of that stage or season of life in which we're making the most investment. It's sort of the busiest season of life. Most of you will be married in this stage of life. Most of you will be raising kids in this stage of life. Friends, church, It's a big, big chunk of your life in which most of it you're investing in others. You're investing in spouses, children, etc. Most people are marrying in their late 20s, by the way. I think it's about 27 for guys and 26 for gals. Might be a year higher than that. If you're not married and you're considering, we'll sort of run the gamut on this. If you're not married and considering or you're dating, you're thinking about a potential spouse, be careful because this is a big deal. The person you marry, apart from being a Christian, this is the single biggest decision for the rest of your life. Bigger than where you go to school. Bigger than what you do for a living. Your spouse is the biggest decision apart from Christ that you'll ever face. And your spouse has the greatest ability to bless you or otherwise. It could go either way. So when you're looking at someone and you're thinking, are they an option for me as a spouse? Ask yourself this. Where does where's Christ in their, their life? <clears throat> you know what? Even if someone wasn't a Christian, it'd be shrewd to ask them, if they're, are they a committed Christian? Because of this. If that other person is a committed Christian and they seriously want to grow in Christ, know Christ and grow into Christ-likeness, this would be a good thing for anybody, right? Christ is loving, compassionate, caring, giving, serving. If you're looking at someone else and their their priority is to know Christ and be like Him, this is a good thing. That's the kind of person you'd be glad 
you married. But also think of this. How does that person treat the least of these? If they speak ill of their family when their family's not around, you know what? They'll speak ill of you. If they treat others poorly, they'll treat you poorly. Don't kid yourself that someone who treats you nicely now won't treat you the way they do others later. Because that all comes around. That's what they are. That's what we have. We give others what we have. So be careful when contemplating the spouse. This is huge. It's hard to overstate this importance. Um, besides marrying, you're sort of this is the front end of your marriage. You're investing in your spouse once you have a spouse. It's also the stage of life once you're doing most of your parenting. Most of your parenting. Um, this also is hard to overstate, but you've got a short season of life to parent your children. And I know that days often as a parent seem interminably long, but the years fly by. Psychologists, just in doing psychological studies and evaluation, psychologists say that by the age of seven, a child's major personality traits, bents, desires, quirks, they're set by about age seven. Not 10, not 12, not 16, 7. If you're a parent, this formation that's so important for your kids, it's happening within 7 years or less. Most of it is. You can't afford to sort of treat these years lightly if you're parenting little kids. These are formative years. They're hugely important. You can't farm out that responsibility to someone else. As parents, we'll answer to Christ for our children. The babysitter won't. The day school won't, the day daycare won't, the church won't, the youth group won't, not in the way we will. These are hugely important years to invest in your children. And again, you can read Proverbs that talks about what great parenting looks like. But it's the cost is high, for sure. And lots of the other elements of life sort of go on hold while you've got little kids, because that's just the way it is. That's the price we pay as parents. That's okay. That's part of your season of life in this stage. Parenting, so don't shortcut your kids. Give them your best in these years when which you can parent them when they're small and they're young and they're impressionable. So you're investing in your spouse, you're investing in your children. Now let me ask another question. If you raised your hand in this age group, career age, how many here are career age but not married? Okay, thank you. You know, I could have just gone on and not said anything. You know, and just prove that you're really not fully human, right? Because you're career age and unmarried, right? I'm kidding, obviously. Um, I've talked to lots of career age singles, and I'm not sure I've met one yet that told me that they believe they were called to be single the rest of their life. I don't think one. Uh, most career age singles want to be married. They don't want to be single. They want to be married. And the first thing I'd say to you, if you're career age, unmarried, is don't despair. I'm quite serious about this. Don't despair. Don't confuse yourself by saying, what's wrong with me? Because I'm not married. Don't get uptight about the fact that you're not married when you thought you would be. That's true of lots of people in our culture today. So don't despair. Don't wig out. Don't get confused. Just trust that the God who's big enough to save you and give you good gifts will give you the right gift at the right time, whether that's marriage or for now if it's not being married but entrust yourself to God in that area of life as well in this season, career age singles. Also this, 
it's easy if you're not married you to sort of default to a position which I would sort of call adolescent in which it's all about you. I'm not married. I'm not responsible for anyone or to anyone and so life's all about me. Um, <clears throat> life's not all about you. Life's bigger than you. And God calls you to invest in others. If I'm married and I have a spouse, I know I'm responsible for them. But career-age singles are responsible for others as well. I have no doubt that every one of you knows that God's called you into relationship as friends with other people that you're responsible for. And you're supposed to be investing in those other friendships. And also this, career-age singles often feel like the third wheel if a family invites them over for supper or if there's a group of couples, they're like, I, I'm, you know, I'm not married. I, I don't fit in, etc. I would just say, get over that. Uh, if you haven't been adopted by a family, whether it's your own or another one, you adopt a family. And you go to those events where you're one of the only or the few career-age singles. You go anyway. Because the truth is this. You need those other families and couples. And they need you. And I can't tell you how blessed we've been over the years. I'm thinking, I don't know how many people we've had in our house over the years that fit this model. We were blessed because they were part of our family. They were regulars in our home. We loved it. It was good for us and it was good for them. And we've got to, as a group, we've got to get over this thing that we're either deficient or we don't fit in. You fit in. Plug into families. Invest in friendships. Don't make your life, it's all about me. Life's bigger than that. God's call for you is bigger than that. You need to be investing in others. And you need to be fitting in with other couples and other families. That's part of your call. Don't do less than that. This is also your career stage. I mean, you're spending the greatest chunk of your career years and in investment in this. And people, instead of uh, being in one career all their life today, typically they're in two or three anyway. So if you've started something, you're working at it for a while, ask yourself, is this something that's a good fit? Because you can probably change if you need to. Are you doing something God's fit you for and that you love? And are you doing it with excellence? We talked this uh, talked about this uh, a month or so ago, though. Are you giving yourself, whether that's as a student or in work, to clients, to employers, are you giving that your best? Can you offer to Christ what you're producing at work? Are you doing your work? Is your career being done in such a way that you say, Lord, this is for you. I'm doing this to honor you. This is a huge chunk of your life. Figure out how many hours you work. It's a bunch. Those aren't wasted years. And that's not wasted hours. That should be given to God. Those are important. Are you investing in your spouse, your children? Are you investing in your friends and your careers? And frankly, are you enjoying the life at this stage God's given you? Ecclesiastes talks repeatedly about enjoying this stage of life, the abundance God brings into your life. This is a big thing. The fourth season or stage is the empty nest or late career 50s into the 70s. How many here? 50s, mid-50s into the 70s. Okay. We've got a pretty good, pretty good spread of all. That's good. Okay. This group, children are pretty much raised and the career is mostly behind you. People in this age are transitioning sort of from uh, careers and family raising into retirement and sort of life back on our own or back just a couple, something in that. 
I think this is another uh, stage of life that for a lot of people has a temptation that they need to be careful about. On one hand, in this stage of life, most people are sort of reaping the benefits of a lifetime of investments. Uh, They've worked for a long time. They've probably saved for a long time. They've invested in families and friends for a long time. So there's a sense in which it's like the farm year, the bounty's coming in. And so there's this temptation to sort of rest on your laurels and just see the rest of my life as vacation to the degree that I can. If you if you find yourself in this time and you've got more resources and more time than you've ever had available before, and you probably do in this season, this stage, on one hand, I think it makes all the sense in the world to say, I'm going to do some of those things that I've always wanted to but couldn't. I'm going to take some vacations. I'm going to visit some relatives. I'm going to take some classes, whatever. I didn't have the time or the time and the energy and the money at the same time before. I'm going to do that now. Make a list, prioritize, do some of those. You'll never do all of them. That's just the nature of life. Do some of those. But then remember, God is holding you accountable for the things you have, for the time you have, the resources you have. At this stage, just as at any other. And so this is also a key time to be reinvesting in others. You may be able to give more generously to the church than you have in the past. You may be able to give more time and investment to your children or your grandchildren. You may be able to mentor folks at church, other families, young people, Sunday school, you name it, at this stage because you have more time, more resources than you have before. You have less demands on your time. Most of us do anyway. So on one hand, it is really a time to enjoy the fruits of prior investments. But on the other, it's also a time to reinvest the bounty that you have during this season. So it's a mistake to see all of life as a vacation. And and this is where our culture aims. We retire and we do nothing. We watch TV, we sleep late, we eat well, and we visit the relatives around the holidays. This is not a life. This is existence. This is not what God wants for us in stage four of our life. So enjoy it on one hand, but on the other, I'd be praying and reassessing again, Lord, what are the investments you want from me now? A little bit more time and more resources. The last stage are what I call the green years, 70s and up. How many here are 70s and up? Great. We, we've got every spectrum. Everybody's here. This is good. Uh, Shakespeare said in his 73rd sonnet, this is one of my favorites, by the way, he compares his life to a season, to a year. And this is when he's getting a little older. And he says, that year you may in me behold when yellow leaves or none or few do hang upon the boughs which shake against the cold, bare ruined choirs were late, the sweet birds sang. He says, I'm getting old and my life looks like a tree and most of the leaves are gone and the few that are left are yellow. So Shakespeare calls this stage of life yellow. Sometimes we, we call this the golden years. The sun is setting and the golden rays are coming from the horizon. These are the golden years. God calls these though in Psalm 92, the green years. So in Psalm 92 verse 12, The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, or Yahweh, they will flourish in the courts of our God. 
They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright, my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. God says even of the last stage or season of life, it's not yellow, it's not golden, it's green. And the thought here is this, that those who are in this vital relationship with God, even in their declining last physical years on the earth, they're still inside, if you will, like a vibrant, fruitful tree. The sap's not declining, it's rising, as it were. And they're declaring God's goodness. And I think it goes a little bit like this. They've lived with God through all the seasons of life and they look back over it all and they say, God is my rock and He's never done me wrong. He's good. And the declaration of their life is God's goodness. David said elsewhere, I have been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging bread. That's sort of the same thought here. I've seen it all. I'm in the yellow leaf year or the golden years or the green years. I've seen it all and I can tell you this, God's the rock. He's righteous. There's no unrighteousness in Him. So if you find yourself at this stage of life, one of the things you should be asking yourself, I think, is this. Are people hearing from me the declaration of the goodness of God? Because you've seen it all. You've experienced it all. You're in that last season of life. And this is one of the things that should be characteristic of it. I know who God is. I've experienced Him in every step along the way. God is good. There's no unrighteousness in Him. That's one of the things that should be true of us in this last season, this last stage of life. Now let me say too, I know that these green years, we may be green on the inside, but we may be yellow on the outside. Our health is declining. And that's no small thing and it's hard. And for some of us, our mind declines with that too. And these can be very, very challenging days as well. And so rather than just feeling like I don't feel like a vibrant green tree, we're also facing the reality that we were made of dust and we're returning to dust. And it's a lengthy process, but a lot of it's sort of coming upon us in those last years and our health is not what it used to be. And it can be a real challenge. And so part of facing these years, these last years, is just continuing to entrust ourselves to the Lord. This is another thing, though. And I, I, love, uh, I love our church for many reasons. One of the things I love about our church is to see families with older generations living with them. Uh, because I think that's one of the things we're called to. Uh, when my dad was aging and his health was getting bad, he lived by himself in the great big house we grew up in. And he didn't want to leave. But his health was getting so bad, you know, eventually he, he let us talk him into, Dad, you need to leave. You, need, you can't live like this. And my dad spent the last few years of his life with my oldest sister's family. And I, I tell you, he no sooner got there than he thought, because he was slow, he didn't want to leave, right? But he gets there and he's like, oh, I love this. I'm so glad I'm around people. And it was a hard transition for him to make. Once he made it, he was thrilled. And I know that my dad's presence with my sister's family was a challenge. But I know they were blessed for it too. 
And at this stage of life, sometimes one of the best things you can do is consent to be loved by your children or grandchildren by living in their house and with their families. This is a, a great thing. And you know, too, in our culture, we tend to denigrate the old. It's like they have nothing to offer us. You read the scriptures and white hair, this is a sign of glory. Age, those who were the elders were looked up to because they had lived life, they had experienced much, and they had much to give, especially in the arena of wisdom and counsel and advice. And they were respected because they'd lived long. And we have that opportunity. If you don't find yourself in that category, but below that, these are often great opportunities to bless your parents, your aunts, your uncles. When I was growing up, my parents hosted several relatives in our house of extended family members who simply needed a place. And I can tell you, it was, a, it was great. It was great for our family and it was great for them. And so if you find yourself health-wise, financially or otherwise, where you can't live on your own, I know nursing homes are an option and a necessity for many. But if you can live with your family, I just think this is sort of the best case scenario. It's good for those who are in the green, yellow, gold years, but it's also good for those in the younger years who are welcoming them into their family. So if you're in that arena, consider living with a family. If you're a family member, sometimes we need to pray about and consider welcoming them into our family as well. Living life intentionally. There's a season to life. There's an ebb and a flow. You'll find yourself moving through the stages of life. And if we're going to live life successfully in the few stages, in the few years we have, we need to be very intentional. Learn the lessons of each stage. Major on the majors in each of those seasons we find ourselves in. Give ourselves specifically or particularly to the things that apply to each season. No small thing. Let's pray. Lord, you're a God of order. You, you create life cycles and seasons and stages, Lord, that we move through all of us. And there really is a purpose in every season. And you really do have the things that are your priorities for us in the ebb and flow of life. And Lord, help us to make your priorities in each stage of life our priority. Help us to learn to respect and obey you. Help us to give you our best. Lord, help us to avoid pitfalls. Help us to choose you and wisdom and rejoice instead of making lousy decisions with regrets. Help us to invest in the people that you put in our life, in family and careers, friendships and churches. Lord, help us to continue to invest later in years when harvests are coming in from earlier investments. And Lord, help us in those last seasons of life to bless your name and to bear witness of your goodness and your faithfulness over time. Lord, help all of us to put you in your things first and to love and bless each other in each stage, in each, in each arena, Lord, so that we really are loving you and loving others. Help us to be intentional, Lord, about what you're intentional about. In Jesus' name, amen.